Recent media attention has made many Americans aware of the increasing rate of maternal death in the United States. Although the maternal mortality ratio in the U.S. is low as compared with the average ratio in low-income regions of the world, it's more than doubled since 1990, and it's higher than the maternal mortality ratio in most other high-income countries. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Rose Molina, an obstetrician-gynecologist at the Dimmick Center and Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Dr. Molina has co-authored a perspective article on incorporating maternal health into the health policy agenda in the United States. Dr. Molina, you write in your article that obstetricians have known for years that the rate of maternal death in the United States is higher than the rate in many other countries and that it's been rising. So why haven't policymakers devoted more attention to this? I think that's a fascinating question and honestly one of the reasons why Dr. Lydia Pace and I decided to write this perspective piece is we felt that we noticed that maternal health has not really been a center focus in the current health policy debate and framing different health policies. So we felt that bringing this attention to not only other clinicians, but also hopefully health policymakers might be one way to better advocate for considering how different health policies actually affect maternal health. You mentioned that we had written in our perspective about obstetricians noticing this increasing rise, and I would would want to comment that even among obstetricians, maternal death is an incredibly rare event, and it's certainly something that many obstetricians go through their whole profession not encountering. So even though on a public health scale, I think obstetricians are more mindful of the occurrence of maternal death simply because that is part of our clinical training. I think that because it is still such a rare event in the United States, it is not necessarily at the forefront of even some obstetricians' minds. And so we were hoping with this piece to bring greater attention to it among clinicians in general, but hopefully also to reach the ears of policymakers. One of the impetuses for writing this was because we've noticed that there's increasing attention paid to maternal death in the public media, particularly with the recent ProPublica series that has really highlighted some of the maternal death trends in this country. So we wanted to bring that conversation to sort of the academic clinical community and hopefully as well to policymakers. What are the most common causes of death for pregnant women or women who've just given birth? And have they changed over time? So interestingly, they have changed over time. The main causes of death for pregnant women in this country are due to cardiovascular disease, such as a cardiac arrest, Um, hemorrhage, which has actually improved over time, but still remains a leading cause of death. Other causes of deaths for pregnant women or recently postpartum women include hypertensive crises, which may be due to preeclampsia or eclampsia, pulmonary embolism or stroke. And we actually have seen a slight increase in some of the maternal deaths related to sepsis as well. Less common causes, but Persistent causes of maternal death include amniotic fluid embolism and complications from anesthesia. You say in your article that the most important driver of the recent increases in maternal mortality might be the changing demographic and clinical characteristics of women who become pregnant. Is that issue unique to the United States, or are pregnant women in other countries also older, less healthy than they were in the past? I think that that is a concern for other high-income countries as the general demographic shift from infectious diseases to chronic diseases becomes more prevalent across countries throughout the world. However, particularly in the United States, what we are noticing is that there is an increasing rise of 
what we call advanced maternal age, so women greater than the age of 35 who are getting pregnant, and all of the concomitant comorbidities that come with increasing age. So in our country, we clearly have a problem with obesity, and nearly half of women are either overweight or obese before becoming pregnant in this country. And along with obesity come other cardiovascular risk factors like hypertension, diabetes. And so as our reproductive age women age, so do they experience increased risk of these other chronic diseases that need to be managed, ideally before they become pregnant and have close follow-up care during pregnancy to ensure that these chronic diseases don't get worse or don't complicate the pregnancy as we know that they can. I would also add that a particular problem that we experience in the United States is our skyrocketing rate of cesarean deliveries and the cumulative surgical risks that can accompany those. And that is a trend that is somewhat unique to the United States, though we do see other middle or high-income countries that also have skyrocketing rates of cesarean deliveries. You also talk in your article about inequities in maternal outcomes that are based on race and socioeconomic status. Do you have a sense of how much those differences are caused by variation in prenatal and interpartum care, and how much they're a result of more systemic issues? So interestingly, there has been relatively little research done on the precise impact of insurance status and maternal health outcomes. There has been a good amount of research looking at different types of disparities in different social groups for adverse maternal outcomes, but it's hard to link directly the relationship between the specific impact of insurance status, level of prenatal care, and health outcomes for pregnant and recently postpartum women. However, there have been studies that show that severe maternal morbidity and even mortality may be increasing and disproportionately affect women of color, women who have Medicaid, women who have lower educational attainment or lower income levels, even after controlling for their chronic medical conditions. And while general inequities may be understudied within specific groups of women, such as undocumented immigrants or women who are living in rural areas, we know that it is likely that they are experiencing a multitude of environmental and systemic factors in addition to their inequitable distribution of the social determinants of health that impact them more adversely with regard to their outcomes during and after pregnancy. There's a new report from the Texas Maternal Mortality Task Force which attributes the spike in maternal deaths there in the past perhaps five years to drug overdoses. Is substance abuse a major issue in your eyes? Absolutely. I think that substance abuse throughout the adult population in this country is also affecting pregnant women. And we are seeing increases of pregnant women using some form of drugs during pregnancy or even around the periconceptional period, which can also have implications for pregnancy-related health and outcomes. And so that is something that we are beginning to detect and certainly address as I believe that it mirrors the trend in the general adult population in the United States. Finally, you mentioned access to insurance coverage. Besides increasing that access for reproductive age women, what kinds of policy changes do you think could address this rising maternal mortality in the United States? One of the policy changes that we wrote about is to consider the 
substantial amount of insurance churn that can happen for women who may lose their insurance coverage in the postpartum period. So we found that some women only are eligible for insurance coverage, such as through Medicaid, when they become pregnant. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they had insurance prior to pregnancy, which means that given this rise of chronic diseases in our sort of reproductive age women, that they're not getting access to routine primary care to manage their chronic diseases, to optimize them even before they get pregnant. Additionally, after pregnancy, there is a gap for some women who may lose their eligibility for Medicaid in the postpartum period. And this may be due to either their legal status or their income gap. And so those women really risk losing continuity of care after they deliver. And that, we know, is a critical time for women to transition between their obstetric provider and their primary care doctor to maintain continuity, particularly for those who have other chronic medical conditions or those who are at risk for developing chronic medical conditions as a result of some of the complications they may have experienced during pregnancy. So in particular, we know that women who have preeclampsia, for example, during pregnancy, they certainly have increased risk of hypertension, stroke, venous thromboembolism, and heart disease later in life. Similarly, we know that women who have gestational diabetes in pregnancy are at increased risk for developing diabetes and other cardiovascular conditions later in life. So we feel that one area where we really need some policy focus and policy change is ensuring that women don't lose their insurance coverage in that critical transition between the postpartum period as they develop relationships with their primary care doctor to manage and detect chronic diseases that may become more and more common. Thank you, Dr. Molina.